I expect some people here have been to Word Alive. For those who haven't, it's a Christian conference or convention or whatever is the right uh, word. It's mainly but not solely for students. And I've just been once and it was in 2010. And back in 2010, one of the things they did was they interviewed a woman called Rebecca Manley Pippert. Now, she's an American who has written books on evangelism. And it was very interesting to hear her being interviewed. And they asked her about various ways she's been involved in spreading the gospel. And she told her story and she told of things like when she was a university student. There wasn't really much for unbelievers to bring the gospel to unbelievers, so she set up a Bible study and she invited friends along to it and they all came along and they were all converted. And she told about how she told the gospel to her hairdresser. Now she looked like she probably spent a lot of time at the hairdresser. She had a lot of hair. And uh, she spoke the gospel to her hairdresser and and her hairdresser just lapped it up and turned to Christ and said, can I bring all my friends to hear this too? And they came along and were converted. It was wonderful, heartwarming and very challenging to hear it. And the message seemed to be, everyone can do this. And in a sense, that's right. Because she didn't do anything spectacular or out of the ordinary in one sense. She just spoke to people that she met. But in in another sense, it was spectacular and out of the ordinary Because not everyone is Rebecca Manley Pippert with her gifts, with her personality, with her particular way that God has used her. People have different gifts, different callings and different responsibilities. And some are called to be evangelists. Let's turn back to Ephesians and chapter 4. We're not going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this evening, by the way. We're going to have... Various different passages we're looking at. But let's start in Ephesians chapter 4. This is the reason I asked for it to be read. Because it says in verse 11, It was he, that is the risen Lord, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Some have been given to the church to be evangelists. And we must be aware there is such a role as an evangelist. Churches should think about that and be looking for and encouraging and using such people who show some evidence that God has gifted and called them to be evangelists. Individuals should think about that. Has God given you a heart for and gifts for spreading the gospel? How are you using them? What way is he leading you? We have, in verse 11, some are called to be apostles, but not all. Some are called to be prophets, but not everyone is a prophet. And some are called to be evangelists, but not everyone is. So if you're not, what does that mean? Does that mean, leave it to the professionals? That's it, just sit in your pew and leave it to the professionals. No, it doesn't mean that. Not at all. There are many ways that we can be involved in spreading the gospel without being exceptionally gifted or set apart by the church as, right, we've recognised God's called you and your role is an evangelist. There are many ways. If it's on your heart to give out leaflets in the town centre, that's good, do it. If it's on your heart to knock on doors and to tell people the gospel, that's good, do it. 
By the way, don't accuse others who don't do it of, of not caring about the gospel. Because there are different ways of being witnesses for Christ. Not all are called to do exactly the same thing. But, but, there are some things that all Christians can and should be doing to spread the gospel. Some things that all Christians can and should be doing to spread the gospel. And so we're beginning this evening a five-part topical series on these things we all can and should be doing to spread the gospel. Now, I hope that these things will be good news to you because these are things that are not just for the really bold, for the extrovert, for the highly eloquent, for the person who is so imaginative about how to use every situation. The Bible is broader than we tend to be about how we can play a part in spreading the gospel. We tend to narrow it down just to the people who don't quake in their boots at the thought of speaking to a stranger. But the Bible is much more broad in, in what it says we can do to play our part. So, the five ways over this series that we, can all, we all can and should be spreading the gospel are praying for the gospel, living for the gospel, giving for the gospel, speaking for the gospel, and being part of a gospel church. Notice it's not just all about speaking, but it does include that. But it's broader. We tend to narrow it down to just speaking. And tonight we're starting that series with praying for the gospel. Now, that I hope you'll recognise that's a really large subject, and I'm going to have to be highly selective and will just touch on the subject. But I want to give you some of the content, what you could be praying for the gospel. But I hope in the process to also give you some motivation that you should be praying for the gospel. And I hope to also give you some encouragement that this isn't just for the people who can't do anything else. Oh, poor you, if you can't do anything else, at least you can pray. No, it's not like that. So, what could you be praying for the gospel? Do remember, I'm not going to cover it all. It's just introducing it, hopefully stirring you up a bit. What could you be praying for the gospel? What should you be praying for the gospel? Here's the first thing. Pray for people to be sent. Let's turn to Matthew 9 for this. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's gospel chapter 9. And you need the end of the chapter. What could and should you pray for the gospel? Pray for people to be sent. We see in Matthew 9 verse 35. 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, there's so much here. We can't read these verses and, and not want to pause over and wonder at the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Amazing compassion. But, sadly, we haven't got time and we're on a different subject this evening. I want us just to consider the phrase in verse 37. At least to start with, just consider. Verse 37, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. How true that is. Many of us here know that two families, the Petras and the Jonases, went to northwest Leicester to plant a new church there a year or two ago. And they went to an area of 47,000 people or so. And they went there because, as far as they could make out, there was only one gospel church in that area of 47,000 people. And when I heard that, I thought this. Imagine that area had only one doctor. If that area had only one doctor, well, he couldn't see all 47,000 people, couldn't care for their needs. If If that area had only one doctor, people would die as a result, wouldn't they? There would be people who would die. It would be an outrage. It would surely be in the national news. But not everyone needs a doctor. I know doctors are really important, and most people will see a doctor at some time in their life, but you could go through all of life without a doctor. It is possible to live without a doctor. But everyone needs the gospel, don't they? You can't live, that is, life as it's meant to be, without the gospel. You can't die safely without the gospel. In other words, without Jesus. Let's just pause there. I wonder, is there anyone here trying to live without Jesus? You won't have life as it should be without him. And you can't die safely without him. You need him. 47,000 people in northwest Leicester had only one gospel church. I also heard a statistic, in eastern Turkey, there are three million people per gospel worker. Think of that, three million people per gospel worker. So, if I'm allowed to say such things, Jesus was right. Verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But then notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, the harvest is plentiful, so the workers are few. He's speaking to his disciples, wasn't he? He doesn't then say, so disciples, you go into the harvest, but if you can't, if you're really not much good, at least you could pray. Doesn't do that, does he? He does the opposite. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Pray, that's the first thing. That's the most important thing. And then, once they're praying, he sends them. Chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. And verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. But he gets them praying first. It happens that way round. They pray and then they're sent. Not they're sent, but if you're really, like, if you're completely incapable, at least you could pray. The role of prayer is far greater than we give it credit for. I'm at the moment reading a book called A Praying Life. This seems pretty good to me. There are, there are some bits I disagree with. What? I hope you read books you disagree with. Well, otherwise, you'd, you'd only ever read the Bible, wouldn't you? Because all the others are imperfect. And it seems to me it's quite a helpful book. But it said this thing that, that I wasn't sure about. It said, the key to praying isn't discipline, it's desperation. What do you think of that? I didn't like that because I'm into discipline is a good thing if only people were more disciplined. Well, discipline is a good thing. But when I thought about it, I thought, actually, I think the book's right. Because although discipline is good, it isn't the key to prayer. The key is desperation. If you're disciplined without desperation, that will be really dull. 
key is desperation. If you see the need, there are people dying without the gospel. If you see that God must equip, prepare and send people, surely that will lead to desperation. And it's only with such desperation that you'll really pray. And it's such prayers God will respond to. But such prayers won't stop there, will they? Because if you have that desperation and you pray, there'll be some way you will go into the harvest. Because remember, the harvest field isn't just in Timbuktu. It's also in your workplace. And it's on your road. So if you have that heart that causes you to pray... I'm sure there'll be some way you'll go as well. So what should we pray? Well, there it is in verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's simple, isn't it? Pray for people to be sent. I reckon that doesn't need any explanation, basically. But I reckon it probably does need a question. Are you doing it? Simple question, isn't it? Are you doing it? Here is the Lord's Prayer. What do you think is the Lord's Prayer? Well, you all know, don't you? Our Father in heaven and so on. But here's another Lord's Prayer that the Lord told his disciples to pray. But it's a much more neglected Lord's Prayer. Are you praying it? When we pray this, we know we are praying in line with God's will. Guaranteed, absolutely, no, when you are praying this, you are praying in line with God's will. That's amazing, isn't it? What a prayer to pray. Do you pray it? Do you pray this? Things like this. Lord of the harvest, it's your harvest. That's amazing, isn't it? Why do you want us to pray? How amazing you are. Please send a Christian into my workplace who's good at telling people the gospel. And never guess who that Christian might be. Might be you. God might make you better at telling the gospel. Lord of the harvest, thank you there are new children coming to discover us. Please give some more leaders to help them with telling the gospel. Lord of the harvest, I'm told that evangelistic events in the UK rely on a pretty small number of evangelists who have to spend all their time travelling around the country. Please raise up some more to tell the gospel. Lord of the harvest, there are millions of people in Central Asia who do not know who Jesus is. They think he's just another prophet of Islam. Send out missionaries to tell them the good news. Do you pray such prayers? Pray for people to be sent. But then secondly, pray for people who have been sent. Pray for people who have been sent. Now, in World War II, Germany was sending millions of people to the Eastern Front to fight in Russia. Now, that's all very well and good. Well, it wasn't good, was it? But anyway, to send the people. But what about supplying their needs? Because Russia's a pretty big place, isn't it? And as they got further into Russia, and as their train system completely broke down, and as the German economy got more wrecked, they found they were sending people, but not able to send them any supplies. And the people just got slaughtered. Sending is no good if you don't supply. We have to pray for people to be sent. What should we pray for them to be supplied with? Oh, well, there's loads of good answers there, aren't there? And the best one is probably... Supply them with the Holy Spirit. But I want to show you two other things that we can pray for them to be supplied with. Two practical prayers for people who've been sent. Would you turn to Colossians? 
So it goes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you're in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you've gone too far. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Well, there's there's several things there to pray for, but I just want to point out one. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is the Apostle Paul. He has been sent by Jesus in the most unmistakable way. He is the most brilliant man. Even secular historians say this man was brilliant, even though they don't agree with him. He's compelled by the love of Christ. He says, I'm under compulsion to bring this gospel. But all of that is no good if he can't make it clear. And telling the gospel clearly is hard. I remember being down at our market stall. And I like to think, okay, this is rather big-headed, but I like to think that, that I'm clear and simple. You might agree that I'm simple, but anyway. I like to think I'm clear and simple at telling the gospel. But I realised as I spoke to people who knew nothing that, oh, I've, I've got used to speaking to people in church all the time. And I'm struggling to use words that they understand and to avoid making assumptions and just to connect. It's hard. And I've heard, and I expect you've heard, people are really passionate for the gospel and they speak to unbelievers and unbelievers don't know what they're talking about because they can't make it clear. Well, that's a simple practical prayer, isn't it, for people who are sent, that they would speak it clearly. Here's another one, and it's why we read Ephesians 6. Would you turn back just a few pages from Colossians, before that's Philippians, and before that is Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly Make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Why this repetition of fearlessly? What might cause fear? Well, being killed, which is a reality in Muslim countries for millions of our Christian brothers and sisters. Being killed. I reckon that makes you fear. Being put in prison, that is a reality in China and North Korea. Losing your job, that is a reality in very many countries, nearer to home too. Social exclusion being thought odd, that's a reality, isn't it, to all of us? And almost no one, not even the Apostle Paul, is immune to being afraid about those things. And such a fear can shut our mouths and silence the gospel. So, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, when he writes to the Colossians, he isn't condescending to the pew warmers. Oh, look at these people. They need a bit of encouraging. I'll give them something to do to encourage them they're not useless. No, he needs their prayers. 
He needs them. He will succumb to fear and keep quiet if they don't pray for him. He will be unclear and confusing and fail to persuade people if they don't pray for him. I sometimes hear people saying spiritual sounding things like, prayer isn't about us changing what God does, it's about God changing what we want. Now there might be a snippet of truth in that that I ought to think about more and haven't fully understood. But as I read the Bible, I find prayer is about making things happen. Prayer is about changing the world. Prayer is about getting God to do things that he wouldn't do if we didn't ask for them. Can I explain how all that fits together with God having everything planned? No, but I find this is what the Bible says. Prayer makes a difference. God has chosen to use it in his plan. So pray for people who have been sent, including these two simple prayers, that they'd make the gospel clear and that they'd be fearless. Pray prayers like this. Lord God, the one whose word is powerful, help Val Owens as she works bringing the gospel to international students at Sutton Bonington. Help her to be clear as she speaks to them. Make her a good listener and then a clear responder. Give her the simple and precise words to tell the gospel to people who, in some cases, their English is really quite poor. Father, your Holy Spirit loves to make the Lord Jesus known. So may he enable Malcolm and Ruth Firth in Latvia to make Jesus clear to the people who come to their church. May they make clear how great he is. May they make clear how loving he is. May they make clear how sinless he is. May they make clear how humiliated he was and how exalted he is. May they make clear how necessary and how suitable he is. May they be bold to tell people Jesus is Lord and they must obey him. It's not just an option, they must. Pray prayers like this. Almighty God, you are jealous for your name. And at Jerry and Joy's church in Iraq, there are believers who want to keep their belief secret. Now, we understand that because they'll get thrown out of their families and they'll lose their jobs. But please give them fearlessness so they make Jesus known. Well, you could multiply examples, couldn't you? Will you pray for people to be sent? Will you pray for the people who have been sent? But don't stop there. Mustn't stop there. Here's the last one. Pray for the people they've been sent to. Now, we need that one too. Why do we need that one? Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we find the Apostle Paul in Philippi, at least by halfway through the chapter. He had been sent... And he'd been directed in a very clear way from, by God to go to Philippi. And he'd been prayed for. And then he went to Philippi. And he spoke boldly. Despite opposition, he spoke boldly. And he spoke clearly. But even all that isn't good enough. No, that's not enough on its own. He needed something more. What more was needed? It's in verse 14. 
Acts 16, verse 14. Paul speaking, doubtlessly speaking clearly, verse 14, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. What more was needed? Oh yes, he needed sending. He needed fearlessness. He needed clarity, but he also needed this, the Lord to open the hearts of those he spoke to. We must pray for the people who are listening, for the Lord to open their hearts to respond. Why do we need to pray that? Well, because, as 2 Corinthians 4 says, sinners are blind to the light of the gospel. Blind to the light of the gospel. Let's think about that image. These lights in here are good, aren't they? Yes, I hope we're thankful to Peter Crown, who got these lights installed and sorted out. They're good lights, aren't they? Nothing wrong with these lights, is there? No. But they're no good to you if you're blind, are they? The problem isn't with the lights, but they're no good to you if you're blind. Nothing wrong with the gospel. There's nothing wrong with the light of the gospel, but it's no good to blind people, is it? So we need to pray for eyes to be opened. We must pray, Lord, open their hearts to respond to the gospel. Why? Here's another reason. Because Ezekiel says, sinners have hearts of stone. That's what he says, sinners have hearts of stone. Some of us went on a walk in in the outwards this afternoon and we saw some pretty big rocks. Yeah, think of the rocks on Beacon Hill and in the outwards. Have you ever tried persuading them to move? Yeah? Take a hammer with you, you probably shouldn't. Take a hammer with them and start hitting them, see how you get on. Take your blowtorch and try melting them and see how you get on. God's word says that's what the sinner's heart is like. It takes God to open it up to respond to the gospel. I wonder, is there someone here thinking, one day I'm going to respond to this gospel. One day I'll have a think about this Christianity. One day I'll consider becoming a Christian. You know, I'm sorry to put it bluntly, but if you think like that, you're really a fool. And you need to be humbled. Because it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. It's not in your power, like picking up a hobby. One day I'll try out that hobby. It's not like that. It's not in your power just to decide one day I'll do it. No. It's a heart change that God does. You need to be humbled. You need to feel your helplessness. You need to be reduced to crying out to God for mercy. And you'd better get on and do it. Rather than think, one day I'll do it when it suits me. You don't know what your heart is like. It needs the power of God to change it. Cry out to him to do so. And this is where prayer comes in. We need people to go and speak to those whose hearts are like stone. But we also need people, including us, to speak to the one who changes hearts of stone. Obvious, isn't it? If someone needs heart surgery, speak to a heart surgeon. God is the heart surgeon. Are you speaking to him for those you know who need heart surgery? Gospel heart surgery. So pray this. I'll read to you. Don't worry about turning to it. Ephesians 1 verse 18. 
Ephesians 1 verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Some of you might think, aha, that's why he said not to turn to it, because the context is it's about Christians. Well, if that's true to pray for Christians, how much more for blind sinners? For the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, opened. Do you pray? Parents, do you pray? Father, open my children's heart to respond to the gospel. Do you pray that? And there is, there is no more important prayer to pray than that for your children. Lord, open my children's hearts to respond to the gospel. Your children might be in their 50s. Still pray it. Father, open my neighbours' hearts to respond to the gospel. Father, as Stephen Baggett and David Eden spread the gospel in the Sahara Desert, open Muslims' hearts to respond to the gospel. Oh, Father, the needs are enormous. The number of examples we could give are almost limitless. Open people's hearts to respond to the gospel. Are you praying such prayers? Pray for people to be sent. Pray for the people who have been sent and don't fail to pray for the people they've been sent to. Well, that is the start of our series, five things we all can and should do for the gospel. We've started with this, pray for the gospel. Have I started with the Cinderella option? Well, you know, if you can't do anything else, at least you can pray. How many times have you heard that? I've heard it loads of times. What a bad saying. When was the fastest growing church? When was the most spectacular gospel power seen? Surely it must be the early chapters of Acts, mustn't it? I reckon it must be. And it started with prayer in chapter 1. And it continued with prayer in chapter 2. And it overcame obstacles with prayer in chapter 4. And it prioritised prayer when under pressure in chapter 6. Prayer is not the Cinderella option. Prayer is a necessity. It's a privilege. It makes a difference. And it's something we all can and should do for the gospel.